Good evening. We're live and welcome back to another episode on Coffee with Craner. I'm your host, Lyndon Crane, joined today by AM800's Dan McDonald. If you don't know, Dan McDonald hosts the Dan McDonald Show on AM800 uh, every morning, 9 to 12. And he's also uh, a host of the Here and Now music show that's on AM800 that you can listen to. Prior to radio, he worked as a feature writer and arts editor for several local publications right here in Windsor, Essex. And he's also appeared in over 20 local theater productions and several indie films right in our area. And on a side, as a side hustle and a side project, he runs a local book club focused on his passion, which is not my favorite, but Dan's favorite, horror novels. And uh, also he, po he published a a great book of poetry in 2008, very active in both performing arts and radio. Dan, it's great to have you on the show today. It's awesome to be here. Lyndon, I've been a fan of your show for a long time, so I'm really, really excited for this opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. And Dan, can you tell me more about the the sign right behind you? I noticed that when you first joined. Yes, this one, the, the hate has no home here. That was actually started by uh, by two people who were just kind of responding to a lot of the negativity that was going on on uh, online, uh, around town. And, you know, they, they just wanted to kind of create some positive buzz. So I had, it's, it's Laura and Lori, they were on the show to talk about the sign. And it really blew up for them. They were selling the signs just at cost. They had someone design it. They printed a bunch of them out. They sell them for 10 bucks. They don't make any money. They just kind of want to spread the love around. So people started buying them. And if you drive around town all over, uh, I see them in uh, Windsor, LaSalle, Amherstburg, Essex, all over the place. It's just kind of a little, they wanted to create a little, hey, this is a safe haven, a safe space. Spread the love, you know, no racism, no homophobia, no transphobia. I thought it was kind of a, a lovely message. So I, I chose it as my my background. It's better than my messy, my messy makeshift office, I thought. <laughs> I love it. And I have been seeing them around. Great message and, and uh, message of positivity that everyone needs, uh, yeah. especially right now. So, Dan, can you tell me, how did you, you start in, how did you get started in radio? And how did you know it was something that was the right fit for you? Ooh, yeah, 21 years ago, believe it or not, I started in radio. And uh, how it happened was it was it was kind of a, a, a comedy of errors, if you will, a series of perfect events that all kind of led up to one big thing. But I was in um, college taking journalism, and my passion at the time was print journalism. I really wanted to be a feature writer for a music magazine. That was my goal for journalism uh, or be a writer for a magazine. But I wanted like Rolling Stone. That was what I wanted to do. And um, I started writing for some small independent papers, a room magazine. It was a really cool grassroots alternative press paper that was published independent paper. And it was really, it was very smart. It was political. They had entertainment. It was, it was just a fun, cool magazine. And um, I met a guy there who was, uh, who was, had worked there for a long time. And we had a, sh a shared passion for music. And we decided to start doing just a volunteer radio show for C Jam, uh, and we we it's this the show actually still runs to this day twenty one years later believe it or not he hosts it still I don't host it anymore it's called Girly So Groovy named after a Pixies song lyric and uh, it focuses on female musicians of every genre. Uh, we always call it the only show dedicated to the women who rock and the people who love them. That was the kind of tagline for the show. But it was a really successful show. It got a lot of fun. won some Jammy Awards back in the day. And that kind of got my, uh, it kind of ignited my passion for radio. And it fueled a lot of the, um, a lot of the passion that I had for going to see live music, talking about music, writing about music. And I found, you know, I like talking about music as much as I like writing about it. Music is a huge, huge part of my life. So that was kind of what planted the seed. And then through a series of events, I got a job not as a DJ, but as a writer for the radio stations that I work for now, you know, AM 800. At the time, it was 89X, 93.9, and AM 580. 
and I got a job as a writer there. And kind of one thing led to another. A job got posted for an announcer on 93.9, and I even thought, oh, there's no way. I'll never apply. They, they wouldn't want me. I'm a writer. I'm not a, I'm not a real DJ, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I didn't apply for it. And then I heard through the grapevine that people were, why didn't Dan apply? That's disappointing. What's going on? So I applied for it thinking I don't have a chance and, and you know what, at getting this job and I uh, applied for it and I got the job. And that was, that was back in 2007, I believe. And, uh, I, it's, it's been upward from, from there. It's been a, a constant evolution, but that was, that was how I got into radio. I, I'm just someone who really loves to talk. <laughs> well, I guess you have to be in the role, right? <laughs> that, that's kind of a little bit of a prerequisite. Yeah, but I'm passionate about music. Obviously, that was my first love. And talk radio just kind of evolved. I've always been a big fan of the, the time slot on Amy 100 that I'm in now. I was always a big fan of the Lynn Martin show. That was my, and I have said this before I worked at the station, that was my number one favorite radio show. I listened all the time. I called in. That was kind of like the comment section before the comment section, before social media, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, I'd call into the show to weigh in on topics. It could be anything, anything, that, stuff we talk about now, something going on at city council, uh, something, a parenting issue, relationship dilemmas, politics, whatever it may have been. I loved calling in Lynn and I loved hearing the other perspectives from other callers. That would get me all fired up to go. I'd be yelling at my radio. So when that job came up, when Lynn Martin retired, I was very sad, but I was also very excited. So I made that decision to transition from music radio into talk radio and it's been a it's been an adventure <laughs> well i think the, the coolest part of what you just told me is that the the radio show that you started at c jam is still going strong yeah yeah girl is so groovy uh it airs uh mondays and trevor trevor clender who was my co-host at the time and he was my colleague at room magazine he is still hosting it to this day so when i got on when i got on full time on 93 on the river uh, I just thought, you know what, maybe it's time just to kind of pass the torch on. And Trevor was Trevor was really taking off with it. And um, I, I, I just gave the whole show to him kind of thing. And he he went running with it. And I believe it's being syndicated now in a few other cities as well, in the, in the States and in other parts of Ontario. So he's doing amazing. It's bigger than I ever thought it would be. And I'm, I I hold the title still as number one fan of Girlie Sugru because I used to be on the show. So I, I think I have a right to that title. But it's a wonderful show. He's so passionate. And that's what makes it so great. That's that's awesome. Now, I, I mean, you've been in radio for a while, um, and you've you've had different careers as as a writer, um, as a talk show host, um, different things like that. Have there been any specific hurdles that you have faced um, throughout your career in in radio and uh, broadcasting, uh, or even your personal life? You know what? It, it's always been the exact same thing. The hurdle they're always my own doing. Uh, they're always my own head, getting too much inside my own head, doubting. Even, you know, when I wasn't going to apply for the job on the river, I thought, oh, I'm not qualified to be a, an announcer. I can do the volunteer C-Jam thing, but I, I can't be an announcer on, you know, on 93.9. I've listened to the show, the station back in the 90s with people like legendary, legendary local announcers that I've listened to since I was literally a teenager and got into music. I got into that kind of music. And it's always been that voice of self-doubt. Like you're, I know it sounds so cliche and so cheesy, but truly it does a number on you that you're not good enough, uh, that uh, they're, they're going to think you're stupid or who are you to even think you could apply for this. And it wasn't until the person who ended up hiring me for the river, he said, "Why?" because I kind of told him this. He said, why wouldn't I think you were qualified? You love music. You're always writing about music. And Dan, you have seven years experience doing it for free on C-Jam, volunteering. Like, you have the boxes checked. Why do you not think you'd be okay at this? And I thought, 
I don't know. I don't know. And that's always been my biggest challenge, even from when I was in high school. You know, if I, I was a pretty, I can say now I was an okay writer. I'm, I was a pretty good writer. And I can say that I even still have a weird thing saying I'm good at anything. It's a weird thing with me. But when I would get an A on an essay or in university, an A on a paper or a story that I'd write in journalism in college, if I got an A on it, I would think, ooh, fooled him that time. Got away with it that time. Can't do that again. I would think that every single time. And I still have a hard time accepting compliments from people. If they say, oh, I really like the show, that stupid little voice back there says, they're just saying that because they think you're nice and they don't want to really tell you that you suck. <laughs> How crazy is that? You know, what yeah. I mean? That's my biggest hurdle that holds me back. It always has been pick anything I've ever done from drama to making friends to introducing myself. And I like to think I'm a rather social guy. But I still have that, oh, they're just being nice to me. They don't really like me. I've gotten better at it, but that is something I've had to work on. And I, I think I'm going to have to continue to work on that until the end. It's, it's, it's how my head is wired, unfortunately. And how, how have you gotten better at that? I think just, you know what, I used to get all, if somebody gave me any kind of a compliment, I thought, oh, now I got to say something nice about them or how do I repay them for that? They're being so nice to me. I think now I, I got really good at saying thank you and trying to be genuine, just being genuine about it and being, gaining a little bit of confidence over time, I guess, and, and trying not to be so darn hard on myself. Uh, being hard on myself in the right way is pushing out of that comfort zone a little bit, but not trying not to be in over my head, even though I get in over my head all the time. And that's when the really fun stuff starts to happen. But really, it's just kind of hearing that little voice in the back of your head, that self-doubt voice and saying, okay, I hear you, but don't screw this up for me. So you're listening to it because there is some caution in that voice. At the same time, it's also toxic. You know, if, if a person I didn't know on the street said some of the things the voice in my head says, I'd say, who the hell are you and why are you insulting me like this? You're all horrible. Get out of my face. I don't need to hear this from you. So the same goes for anybody who struggles with that little, I don't even know what it is. It's like the devil on your shoulder telling you you're no good or something. And for whatever reason, you believe it. And it's just a matter of believing in yourself and not that voice of self-doubt. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's it's a thing. And I know I'm not alone in that either. And talking to other people about it too, people who I really admire and respected, a lot of the radio colleagues I had, hearing them say the same thing, I was thinking, oh my God, so this is not just me. These are people who I admire, who I see in such an amazing light. And they don't see themselves that way all the time. I just got to maybe appreciate that, okay, maybe maybe I am good enough to do whatever project it is I'm doing. And that, that's one way around it too, talking about it with other people who feel the same way. Mm -hmm. You know what? I think all of us go through that, right? Uh, Self-doubt and, and yeah. anything like that. And you, and you mentioned having those role models in radio that were experiencing the same thing as you. Uh, who were those people? Why did you look up to them? You know, one of them, and I'm, I've said this since day one, was Lynn Martin, who did the Lynn Martin talk show, because I always loved how calm, cool, and collected she stayed, even talking about heated topics. And she would lose her temper now and then, too, if somebody was being, you know, disrespectful. And I try, I, I try <laughs> my hardest to follow in those footsteps. But I, I loved her style. So she was part of my first radio role model. Another person who I really loved from the music side was um, from WDET, Anne Delisi. I always loved her style, her taste in music, and I really tried to not rip off, but model myself. The way she conveys her passion for the bands and the artists, she's being sincere. If there was a band she didn't like, she wouldn't knock them, but maybe you had to play them. She just wouldn't talk about them. But the band she loved, you knew she loved them because she had a story about how it affected her life. And I just love that. Another person, for the same reasons, was George Strabalopoulos. A huge fan of him back when he was a videographer on Much Music, so way back in the day. And I got to meet him 
back then, back in the in the nineties. And I was just, oh my god, I, I respect you so much as a journalist. I, I nerded out and made a fool of myself completely. <laughs> but I loved his style because it was authentic. He always seemed to talk very real deal and just kind of tell the truth. And I, I admire that about all three of those people, Lynn, uh, Anne, and George. Those are my three my three biggies for me. Wow, wow. And and speaking of that, with with Lynn always you know, saying how she felt with it, with a certain artist or uh, genre of music. Do you ever have that situation in radio where you have to say some stuff because it, it's, it's a topic, but like, do you ever have to say things that you don't necessarily believe in on radio or are you only on your show saying things that you really believe in and uh, going from there? On my talk show, if I'm saying something, uh, I will never endorse something that I don't believe in. Uh, mm -hmm. Never. Uh, if I if I am saying I might sometimes say I have no idea I don't know which way to think I'm sitting on the fence about this and that's that's completely honest that isn't me being afraid to pick a side it really is me saying oh God you know like I might have thought I was one way but then some caller disagreed with it and now I'm com I can completely see their point of view which is part of what I love about it that you're hearing other these other perspectives and you're like wow you know I never I never thought about it that way before that's making me see it a whole different way. That's what I loved about Lynn's show. And that's what I love for me personally about my own show, just getting to, to hear different perspectives and think about things in a different way. But I've never said anything. I've said things and then changed my mind, like where I, I think it's one thing that I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually feel A now when I thought I felt B. But if I say something, I'm I'm being genuine. I'm not. I never lie on the air about how I feel. If I'm, I, I'd rather not talk if I have... I would not rather not talk than say something disingenuous. Of course. And yeah. I mean, that must be the best part of radio is you're able to hear so many different perspectives. It is my favorite. And my only time that I ever really lose it on the air, if I get mad or if I yell or something is when somebody takes a shot at me personally, that's mm. when it's like, okay, you can disagree with me and people disagree all the time with me and they call in. And those are, those are usually my favorite ones. If it's all just, <laughs> yes, yes, that's great. Oh, I agree. You hit the nail on the head. I agree. That's fun and great. And it's great for the ego. But sometimes I love it when someone says, okay, Dan, you said this, but what about A, B and C that you didn't even bring up? And maybe I'll still disagree with them and say, no, I still feel the way I feel. But if it's a, if it's a, a valid disagreement, and someone just feels the same, feels differently than me. Uh, I love those conversations. You kind of just consider it a different way. It's when it gets disrespectful, and it rarely doesn't get any much better at that. It's the hang up button, hang it up if it gets to name calling or if it gets into that toxic kind of language. Um, but no, I, I love I love the different perspectives. It's my favorite part of the show for sure. Yes, and you probably learn so much just from just from being on the show. It's it's the big it's the it's what I've I've learned so much about everything I'm still learning I'm I'm new to talk radio really been on radio for a long time but it's been music so there's never been the challenging going on you know the most the biggest challenge we'd ever get is getting to debates over who had a better song or something which that's not going to end anybody's world it was always fun and in jest <laughs> but now we're getting really really heated with certain things social issues a lot of issues sometimes that I'm a part of like that's part of the reason why I have this sign uh, up here the the hate has no home here because. I do have to hear a lot of homophobic things sometimes or transphobic things. And I'm a very open member of the LGBT community. I always have been since before radio. And I, I made a promise to myself, I'll never be closeted for anything. I'm always going to be as out as I've always been, you know, and uh, hearing those things, it's very difficult to swallow sometimes and have to say, okay, that's your opinion. It's hateful, but it's your opinion. Cause 
Yeah. Some people, and some people, you know, they call me up and say, you know, I never really talked to a gay person before, and uh, it's really cool because you're just like anybody else. And like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> but but at the same time, not duh, because I love that. I think when we yeah. talk, we understand each other better, and that creates a more open space. When we when we know each other's stories, we understand how we work, and we understand ourselves better too. And I love that. So I, I was wrong saying duh. You know what I mean? But it's just. <laughs> It's nice to hear that kind of progress, and it it does hurt when you hear that there is so much uh, negativity and hatred out there too. That's a little bit. That's been a little bit disappointing that I've seen some of that side. At the same time, I think the positivity here in Windsor Essex it does win out as the majority, from what I've seen on my show anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's great you have that show where you can you can speak for that group of people that might be disadvantaged sometimes, or or there's there's hate towards that group. You can really be the voice for them on the show, and um, you know combat any type of of negativity that really comes your way. Yeah, I think you're you're seen as a leader for for many people that that are a part of LGBTQ plus. That's one of those things right now. It's like oh, he's just saying that to be nice. That popped in my head. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, genuinely, genuinely. Uh, and, and I do, I do know what you mean. It, uh, and that's a weird, uh, that L word is a weird word for me too, leader. Cause I never thought I've, I was ever a leader of anything. You know what I mean? It's just kind of somebody who likes to yap is really all that I've ever been. But yeah, you know, it is, there's a lot of responsibility. That's something that I'm learning with this job too. A lot of responsibility. And I do think as a member of the LGBT community, it is my somewhat responsibility. I'm very, I'm secure. I'm very lucky that I have a supportive family, supportive friends. I have a supportive workplace and I, I, I'm in a, huge place of privilege when it comes to being LGBT that a lot of people aren't. So if mm. somebody was a beacon for me that way, when I was, when I was a little bit insecure about things, when I was a teenager, somebody who I don't even know who they are to this day, but I heard them speak. I heard them go up on stage and read a poem about being gay. And I thought, Oh my God, can you imagine not only telling people that you're gay, but getting up in front of a microphone and saying it and writing a poem about it. And Mm -hmm. it it boggles my mind that I've done all of those things, but that person was a huge beacon to me just by being visible. So I think if I can be a beacon for anybody by being visible about it, then that's like, that's that in itself pays for itself for me that it's worth it completely a thousand times over. Definitely. Well, you're in a public figure role, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got a a lot of responsibility with that. You you probably know too. Like you could Mm -hmm. say some things that could, uh, people can turn on you if you say the wrong thing, right? If you're doing the podcast, you're getting a lot of buzz. There is there is a level of responsibility because you're a voice. Definitely. So I, I want to talk a, a bit about going uh, switching paths to performing arts. I know you're you're really into performing arts, and um, it's something that I'm not an expert in, but I, I'm learning more and learning more about films with the uh, the Windsor International Film Festival and stuff like that. So I'm I'm trying to do my homework. But talk to me about performing arts. You were you were very well into it uh, prior to the pandemic. Obviously, um, acting and things like that have been put on pause or limited capacity. How did you start getting involved in that? Ooh, that was something that started um, when I was in kindergarten. I started uh, I started being in plays in school and whatnot. Then in high school, I, we started a drama club because that was my little clique at school with the music nerds and the drama club. So we would put on this lunchtime theater that we'd we'd write and produce and get the lighting and ask our teacher who had a connection with Windsor Light Opera, you know, can you get us a strobe light? a coffin and a fog machine and he'd bring it and we'd put on these really cool productions and play music and it was really fun. So that was kind of ignited it. And then um, I got out of high school and I, I focused a little, a little more on, on journalism, got into radio. And then in 2010, a good friend of mine uh, posted an audition for a role at Cortisone Theater in Windsor. And I read the role and it was a role for a drag queen. I would be playing a drag queen in a play. So 
you don't have to be a drag queen. You were playing one. I thought, oh my God, that would be so fun. And I knew the guy who was directing it. He wrote it. I've known him for years before. So I just said, you know what? I want to come and audition for this because it looks really cool. And something about it just kind of spoke to me. I liked the vibe of Cortisone Theater. It seemed like a little family, homegrown theater, Very a lot of heart in it, a lot of creativity, and uh, very in line with all my views, too. They were very gay-friendly and very be whatever you want to be. Everything is cool. So I applied for it, and I got the part. And uh, it ended up, it was a show called Drag, and there ended up being two sequels, and the funds went to Windsor Pride Center, uh, a Windsor Pride Festival, but they sold out every night, and it was just so fun, so transformative, it got me back into theater. And after that, I think between 2010, I was doing several plays a year, and I believe I'm, I'm at about just over 20 shows right now. Haven't done any for two and a half years because of the pandemic and whatnot, but I'm about, at, I'm about 20 shows in now, so about two a year maybe sometimes three a year and one a year, but it works out to about 20 so far. And I love it. It's just something that I love. It's community theater. So it isn't like, it isn't, you know, I'm not, I have no aspirations of going to Broadway or anything, but it's so fun. And it's just so nice to take on a character and the more extreme, the better. That's why I love the drag role so much. It was just so unbelievably extreme. Like there's nothing about me in real life. Not much anyway. That's a drag queen. Like I, I don't, I'm not a drag queen in real life, but it was so fun. I, I love playing bad guys, villains, really sleazy, horrible, awful, mean people because it's transformative and you just, you can release a part of your personality. You don't normally get to tap into. That's why I love it so much. That's, that's awesome. And can you talk about the, the performing arts uh, culture in Windsor Essex. What has it been like? I know there's there's so many theaters um, in in Windsor Essex and groups that uh, do performing arts. Talk about that a bit. It's good. I mean, for the most part, everybody seems to have each other's back. Everyone's very supportive. Windsor has a lot of theater companies and a lot of really cool hidden gems and nooks and crannies. There's so many shows going on, shows that are written by people, produced by people, uh, classic plays that are done. I mean, you get everything from the amazing productions that people like Joe Cardinal puts together. You go see a Joe Cardinal show for Cardinal Productions. It's like going to see a Broadway show. I'm not even kidding. Like I went and saw Avenue Q that he did at Cortisone and then it went on to go to the Chrysler Theater and the performances in that show was only four people in it, four or five people. It was like stunning. It was incredible. Wow. Uh, it was amazing. It was beautiful, wonderful stuff. And then you get to see really interesting things too. But a lot of the actors, you see familiar faces in a few of the theater groups and some people are kind of more married to one particular theater group. I was kind of a Corda guy. Like I loved Cortisone Theater. I did most of my shows with them, but I branched out a little bit too. But it's really cool. It's really supportive. And I think once you find your niche and where you are and what style you're good with and what kind of characters you like to try, I think it's almost like finding a little family, you know, and people start to kind of know who you are. Like, oh, you're the you were in this and you were in that. It's it's really, really fun getting to know people. Um, like some people I've admired for years and I've never actually had a conversation with them, but I've seen every show they're in. So when I finally do bump into them, it's like, I have a lot to talk about. Like, Oh, I loved you in this. And when you did this, it was so amazing. And I knew someone who was in that show. So it really is like a family. It's, it, it's awesome. It's fun. And, and it's not without drama either, but I think that goes with the territory. It's, it's theater after all. Right. So there's going to be right? a little drama. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and does radio, does your role in radio or the skills you've developed in radio, transfer to performing arts have you been able to to collide both 
I think so a little bit as far as far as vocal projection and whatnot. Absolutely. And there is a performance element to it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there, ha- there has been some crossover and some of that confidence, too, that you get. Like, here's the thing about radio. When you've done a radio show, you turn the mic off and that's it. When you're done a performance, people clap, and that's that's a really big ego boost. And then there's that ebb and flow that you have to go with too, because some nights you're doing a show and you say this line, and everyone just dies laughing, and it's funny and hilarious, and you you feel like you're on top of the world. Then the next night, and everybody who anyone who does theater will tell you this: the next night, that crowd is just a little bit different. Maybe they weren't having wine after dinner. Maybe they're just different sense of humor. Maybe they're just quiet. You say that same funny line, you're like, oh, here we go. Get ready for the standing ovation, and it's crickets and then you think oh my god i suck what did i do wrong why do they hate me so it's it's a really good just kind of to, to level out a little bit and be like hey just have confidence in yourself that you're doing a good job and and go with it if you feel good about what you did that's all that really matters so that definitely helps for radio because you, you don't get the validation at the end of your show right <laughs> well you need the you need the button where you can click uh in a clap <laughs> Yeah, I do. I need like an audience, a laugh, laughometer or something. I don't know. But but no, theater has been a huge help just with getting the confidence up to and just finding that support group as well, because everyone's so supportive. Amazing. Amazing. So, Dan, my, my final question for you, mm-hmm. um, going back in time, you're you're 18, you're you're jumping into radio, performing arts, you're finding yourself. Um, what would you tell your 18 year old self? Because I really I think this question will really help people that are watching young people, uh, maybe some advice that they, they could use in their time now. I would, I would probably tell my 18-year-old self to, this is going to sound so cheesy and typical, but uh, believe in yourself. But, but truly, that, that little voice of self-doubt that you hear so much, really go with your gut. Because I, I did get thrown off a little bit when I was 18 years old, and uh, I graduated high school. And for me, I didn't really, I was a little bit directionless, didn't really know what to do. I knew that I was really good at writing. Um, I knew that I loved music. And I knew that I was good in English class. I was good at writing essays and whatnot. So I thought, okay, I guess the only thing I can do is go to English to take English literature, which was great. I have no regrets about it at all. But I didn't really have any direction. I just knew I needed to get a BA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was it. When really, finally, three years in, being frustrated and not knowing what to do, everyone's saying, oh, you're going to be a teacher. And I said, no, I'm not going to be a teacher. I, I don't know what I want to do. And that's what was freaking me out was I don't know what I want to do. And it was a conversation I had with a friend who talked about journalism. And I said, writing, passion, all these things that I can finally apply to something and do something. And that sent me on that track. And I think I was just so preoccupied with everyone saying, well, you have to go, no matter what, just take anything at university. And I really wish I would have listened more to what I was good at and what I wanted to do. And I think I would have fell into my little niche a lot faster than I did because I was sidetracked a little bit. So as cheesy as it sounds, believe in yourself, that voice of self-doubt, listen to it, don't let it rule you and follow what you want to do at the end of the day. There's going to be influences, some of them guiding you right, some of you derailing you do what you are good at and what you love that's the best advice i could give myself back in the day well i mean really really great advice to, to to close off the show and and many many people even my age right knowing what's next what are you doing after university what are you what are you doing after high school it's it's, it's so hard right and uh believing in yourself is is important and um removing the self-doubt like you said is yeah. is a very valuable skill that you that everyone should should really work on so and, yeah and do as much as you can do as much as you can like get out there do a podcast do theater write volunteer whatever it is you can do just explore things and do things and i think a lot of people will be shocked where they end up 
That's amazing. Well, Dan, I, I mean, it was really cool to interview you this time yeah. and uh, talk about all the exciting stuff that you have in radio and your personal life, all the different hobbies that you're doing and all the great work um, that you're doing as a public figure uh, in, in, in Windsor-Essex. So uh, pleasure speaking with you and I really, really appreciate your time tonight. Well, I appreciate all you do, Lindsay. I'm a big, big fan of the show and I'm, I'm pumped that I finally got to have coffee with Craner. Yes. <laughs> thanks, Dan. And, and thanks to those watching and all your comments. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye for now.